Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Rain. You can find all of my content at legendaryupside.com. Uh, this is part two of a best ball rankings recap podcast that we uh, started last week. If you didn't check out the first part, you probably want to go back and listen to that. We had um, just went through the best ball rankings this summer, starting with the early rounds and then ran out of time. But with me today, I have Daniel Raz and Kyle Dvorak. Uh, who formed the three-man team behind the best ball rankings this summer for underdog and best ball that we updated daily throughout the summer. Um, and we're, yeah, we're going to be talking through the late rounds today. Guys, how's it going? It's going all right. Uh, I think we mentioned this last week, but the the mid-range of quarterbacks really took a hit, and that's going to boost the top range of quarterbacks. And we unfortunately have another lost soldier in Daniel Jones. I, I assume Daniel has... Actually, I know that even though uh, Daniel Jones out for the year ACL, there are worse options in that, uh, Daniel, this puts the Giants in the position to, I would assume, correct the, the mistake of signing Daniel Jones. Yeah, I would hope we give Tommy DeVito the full rest of the season, you know, just make sure we it. lose. You really want to see what DeVito's got, huh? Every game. I saw we're 16-point underdogs to Dallas this week, which made that. me chuckle, but I think we lose by 20. Yeah, that that one's tough too because um, just that whole group of quarterbacks getting absolutely decimated by injuries. It's going to make those early round quarterbacks look like better picks than they probably were, but it's going to make late round quarterback hits really hit. We were out on some of the guys who you're excited about. We were also in on some of the guys that you're excited about. So we'll we'll talk we'll talk that. Um, I did want to start with the running back group. Um, from the late round. So we kind of we kind of left off around round 10-ish, that kind of range. Um, but we right after this, or right kind of right in that range, was a pocket of running backs that our rankings, I think, were generally high on. And there are some hits there. We stayed ahead of market on Devin Achan throughout, um, which is almost like, you know, that's almost like, like a big sigh of relief more than than uh you know any kind of victory lap there but because we never like took a huge stand on him but we, we just were ahead uh throughout but there were guys we took big stands on my biggest stand uh, in my entire portfolio was Jalen Warren uh just ahead of Brees Hall as my uh overall highest drafted player and um we also you know had some big stands on some of the other backs in this range but let's so this is take two of of this pod because my internet went out when it went out, we were you guys were going into a, a deep dive on Rashad Penny, and we can start there. That was one of our bigger misses. We ended up high on him in the final rankings, and we we were. I think there was a period where we got a little bit nervous and lowered him, but we never clearly were low enough. Um, so, what are your guys' thoughts on how we handled Rashad Penny? Yeah. So I would put it this way. If we had a Venn diagram of the field that drafted Ronald Jones last year and Rashad Penny this year in the 10th and 11th rounds, we'd have a circle for better and for worse. I think you want to be chasing backs that have the ability to carry touches on offenses that we're confident in projecting top of the league. But we also have to be wary of the team's revealed preferences and how the investment they put in players. Rashad Penny, just like Ronald Jones, got essentially a veteran minimum contract. And it seems that they are viewing them as such and giving the ball to their other more high investment players. 
Yeah, he got a vet minimum deal. His team traded meaningful draft capital, not a ton, but meaningful draft capital for DeAndre Swift. And then during training camp, you know, they're saying, oh, he's battling with Trey Sermon and Boston Scott for that final roster spot. The roster spot, like, technically turned out to not be true in that he made the 53-man roster. But in a more practical sense, he's been active for, uh, like, something like two or three games this year. Like, he functionally did not make the roster. So, yeah, I, I think what Daniel said about the team's very clear intentions of, like, this is a complete flyer. He's a vet minimum guy. And we have a backfield full of guys who are multifaceted. Kenneth Gainwell can play. He can run between the tackles. He can be a passing down back. Boston Scott plays special teams, but also every once in a while pops up for two touchdowns exclusively against the Giants. Like they have guys who can do things. And Penny is one dimensional and a low, low investment, about as low as you can get by the team. That should have been a very clear flag that like the team views him as Dearness Johnson or whatever, like on the Jaguars, like a true maybe this guy makes our roster type of player probably could have been more cognizant of that and a little less reliant on what seems to be like a solid talent evaluation of the guy's ability to break away from any single carry go for 50 yards and a touchdown probably should have been more reliant on the team's evaluation of him which is that he's just a flyer who might not make the roster like technically did but he functionally didn't yeah one of the things that i've tried to get better at in best ball is understanding kind of the difference between like a 10th round pick and a 16th round pick. And I think we failed there on Rashad Penny. I think Penny is still to this day an okay 16th round pick investor. He's on the Eagles, right? He's act. He was active last week. They gave him two carries. Oh, that you can, you can see how he pops up for two games this season. Like even now, even though it's been like a terrible run out, the, the comp here would be Deontay Foreman, who we had ranked in the 16th round. Yeah. And it's already, I think, a hit. I think Deontay Foreman it's- is already a hit because he happened to uh, injuries happened to pile up. He got out there, he was good, like we thought, and he he already helped you a couple times. Foreman comp is like perfect for him. It's it's almost the exact same scenario. And you can see how it hits, as you said. Like injuries happen, especially at running back, and it's just being right place, right time. But when that's all you have to fall back on, he could be a right place, right time guy. That's a hundred percent. Uh I'll take a I'll take a flyer on the 16th because I need a final running back spot. Exactly. It's it's a terrible use of a 10th round pick. In the yeah. 10th round, you can hit big, big wins, and like it's not enough. It's not gonna be enough. I mean, Penny's going to, like, he will, obviously, this is, everyone knows this, but this is a missed pick. But even if he has, like, a Foreman run, I don't think it's going to be enough to really save it. Now you need that, you need it very specifically to fall in the fantasy playoffs, Um, which at this point it probably would if it happens because we're so late in the season. But um, it just, it. I think that was definitely a process miss where it was too ambiguous. They, They clearly preferred Gainwell ahead of him and so he should have been going in like the 15th 16th 17th round um and yeah we we never got that low on him yeah look at the guys around him and their team's investment in our rankings at least the very pick ahead of him tanks tank bigsby in our rankings not the pick but our ranked ahead of him tanks tank bigsby team was very clearly invested in him invested in him and talked him up in training camp oh he could take goal line work he could catch passes like there was no way he was going to be a game day scratch. Like then moved down to Devon Achan. Maybe like the, the team clearly was sort of out on him at some point in the preseason. 
but they had like three viable running backs and he was a reasonably highly drafted player by the team. He was going to get on the field at some point. Jamal Williams, his team paid him a bunch of money. Even if we don't think he's very good, the money tells you how the team feels about him. And that cuts in favor of Jamal Williams and was a big indictment of Penny. We still had him ranked around these group of guys. Yeah. Right. Which was a mistake. Yeah. And then also to add on another comp that I think is reasonable that we were also overweight on far later, Jeff Wilson pre his injury. If you want to look at ambiguous back who can possibly get the inside track on goal line work in an offense, we're comfortable projecting as one of the best in the league. But Jeff Wilson was, even though he's probably going to go down as a miss, partially due to injury, partially due to two other backs dramatically outplaying him. He was going four to six rounds later and the cost benefit, and the risks factors with Penny in the 10th versus Wilson in the 15th really make those two meaningfully different process selections. I completely agree. Bigsby was another miss as it stands today, but I think it's interesting that we have them here in the final rankings. We should note that these final rankings, the later we go, will be less and less reflect uh, an accurate reflection of where we were on these players like over the course of this summer because there were big movements late in the summer on some of these players we sometimes stayed with that like with warren um in take one of this this podcast before my internet went out kyle made the point that the fact that we stayed ahead of warren slightly despite a massive move up uh shows you how high we were on him throughout the entire summer um but like being 0.2 ahead on Warren, I don't think really reflects our stand. We were we were pretty high on him throughout, and there'll be a lot of that type of stuff where guys that I think we did a really good job on, we might be actually behind on in the final rankings, um, or we could be ahead in the final rankings when we didn't really push that. So we'll we'll note uh, those discrepancies as we go. Bigsby is a guy that we were ahead on, I think, throughout, and looks like a miss right now. And will probably go down as a miss. And it was probably overpriced relative to like his talent level compared to ETN's talent level. But on some level, I think we played this okay. Um, and maybe even played it the way I would want to play a similar situation going forward in that we were high on ETN and we were high on his direct backup. And it is those two guys. Like, I think we still feel that the continued value belongs to Bigsby here. And so... The way to play that in a clear two-man backfield where you think both players are pretty interesting is to be high on both players, I think. And we were. It's just that the backup looks like right now he, he may not have any value at all. Yeah, I feel like the fact that he's priced pretty close in our rankings to Warren, there's a few players, there's a handful of players between them, but they're two running back spots, 37 and 39, is interesting because we all felt that Warren would immediately be a change of pace back. He would get on the field in pass catching situations. Whereas I think Tank Bigsby, we thought it was possible, right? Because the team talked him up as, oh, we could like catch passes. He didn't really do that in college. He could be a goal line back. He's got size, but he's not massive. Like he doesn't, he's not, you know, 230, like Pat, you pointed out, he's 215. Like, he could be the goal line back, but he isn't locked into those roles where when you saw Warren last year, not only how they used him, but how he played, we were getting some standalone value. Maybe he was only popping into your flex on a weekly basis, but we couldn't say that for Tank Bigsby, yet we priced them somewhat similarly. That's the only part of this take that I Good wish point. I could recant is that he, he should be priced more as a pure contingent back, but we had him at sort of the high end range of that. 
I'd say it's a slight miss on our process, but frankly, like it's a, a spot we want to be taking these types of shots at. He could be extremely talented. He could find his way. I mean, it's one injury away from finding himself into a very strong role. Maybe we oversold his standalone value a bit. I think both the Jaguars writers, the fantasy community, and us in line did that. But honestly, it, it doesn't feel like a miss in the way Penny feels like a miss. It feels like a slight overpricing, misgaging how we should play him to a degree. Penny is Penny's a whiff for us. Bigsby, yeah. I'm, I'm mostly fine with what we did with him. It's a good point that the market was baking in, I think, some standalone value, and then we were still high on, on him relative to the market. So in that sense, it's a miss because I don't think – I mean, there just wasn't that part. That part of his profile was completely overblown. Mm-hmm. Prospect profile didn't really back it up. Uh, ETN was a much, much stronger prospect than Bigsby. So – the yeah, at devil's advocate to my earlier point would be no, the move here was to bet on the talented guy and be low on the backup who was not going to challenge him as much as the market thought. Not be out, but just treat him like a handcuff when the market was treating him like he was going to have some standalone value. Yeah, we could have been in on him for three months of the summer and just let the August hype like, yes, okay, you yes. guys are pricing in something that feels dubious at best. You can have him up at this price because we would have still gotten a ton of him over the first three months because we were high on him, but we still, you know, we still followed him up a bit where that's like the only part of it that I don't feel great about. It's not bad though. Dalton Kincaid, uh, we can go to, unless are are there any other running backs we should discuss? Miami backfield because A-chain's in this range. We can just knock out all the Miami backfield. I've been, I've been scrolling through past versions of this document. Uh, Looks like I I can't find a spot. We weren't higher than market on A-chain. We weren't, all the way in on him you know we, we didn't have him as like a Jalen Warren type of pick but we felt pretty consistently good about his fit with this team and the plans to use him the big miss is I I looked and I couldn't find a year or a year I couldn't find an uh, iteration of this document where we were high on most I don't think we were ever interested in him mostly because we thought he would get phased out for HN and Wilson would have that sort of early down you know goal line potential work so we were in on the backfield as a whole pretty consistently we missed one third of it. We missed the most part. I feel fine with how cheap Jeff Wilson was that we were in on him up until the point of the injury. We actually kind of got completely out at that point. I feel fine with that. I feel good about HN. Obviously, I wish we would have been higher on him. Moster, we we missed there. We picked winners, which I think we was fine to do with HN, but was probably just a mistake with Moster and Wilson. Like they're two veteran backs. Both got run last year. Both were fine. Um, there's no re- there was no like talent based argument to really be like it was just it was us. It was a projection of role was was really what it came down. Like Wilson will probably be the goal line back because he's like bigger. So it was a very fragile kind of role based like kind of aren't you worried Wilson will get the goal line <laughs> role stuff and. <laughs> I think in that sense, it was a mit- it was a pretty big miss of like, don't, I mean, obviously Wilson got hurt and he, he was hurt for a while and we didn't really realize that because the reporting wasn't uh, very, very good there. So, you know, that part of it was unfortunate, but like also we played the Bears backfield so much better where it was just like ambiguous backfield, let's not pick winners, draft all three. And I think it was very clear that that was the way to play the Dolphins backfield, I know like Pete Overset was playing it that way. There were other like sharp people were playing it. Ambiguous, take all three. And we didn't 
do that with Mostert, who I just found annoyingly expensive compared to Wilson. So I, it was sort of like, well, why don't I just take Wilson a couple rounds later? Um, and then I was also more nervous that the Dolphins would add someone. And I was more nervous that A-Chan would take the backfield than I was with Herbert, Khalil Herbert in Chicago, for example, just like taking the backfield. So, yeah, it all led to us being way too low on Mostert, who's going to go down as one of our bigger misses. Um, fortunately, right, if you're going to pick winners, uh, have the the talented rookie ahead of market the entire summer, that, that could end up being a really big win, even though, like my guess is if you use the ranks all summer, you're probably at like 10% HN. Like I don't think you would be like, you know, just a huge bag. But I think, you know, you'll, you'll take that rather than being underweight. Yeah, just for reference, I used the ranks heavily in my process. I had 11% chain and 6% yep. Mostert, as well yep. as, I think, 13% Jeff Wilson. So cumulatively overweight on this backfield, but I wish I had less confidence in my ability to parse out the roles instead of just sticking with the macro take that we want to be in on this backfield and we'll let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, I, I, w- I, think, I think it would have been like 11% HN and like 9% the other two guys would have probably been like the correct way to play this. Like, I don't think we yeah, should have been just split our overweight. confidence between the two veterans almost entirely. Yes. Yes. Because Wilson was cheaper and like he was pretty good in 2022. Like, and we didn't know that he was going to be dealing with an injury. So yeah, for, for my own personal, um, and I guess that I would say too, it's like, I think in general, uh, like drafting philosophy, if there's spots like this where you feel like, you know, the rankings that I'm using or just how I've been drafting, I ended up kind of underweight this position. And now I'm like, oh man, like I think it's totally fine to be like, I'm just going to hammer some Raheem Mostert because that's how I played it. I was like, I'm hammering some Raheem Mostert in my final drafts. Like, I think I missed this situation a little bit. You know, once they definitely weren't trading for JT, and it's like that. You know, this is the bat. Uh, Jeff Wilson's on IR. In these rounds, I don't think we should be particularly uh, concerned about like chasing up or reaching or like. I wouldn't necessarily want to do that in round four, you know. But like in in the tenth round, it's like, man, I really need some more Moster in this portfolio. That's kind of how I tried to correct this a little bit. Um, Fortunately, I had some Mostert fall to me uh, at times where I was like, I was have to take him here. So, I'm, you know, that's how kind of I corrected it slightly with my portfolio. But I think overall, yeah, just Mostert, Mostert and Penny in this range are, are definitely big misses. And Mostert came up into this range after being much cheaper and we were still, we, we finished way behind. Yeah, and I would like to quickly add, not all chasing is equal. With Miami, we had a lot of new information that should have people adjusting their priors. Jonathan Taylor not being a Dolphin, guaranteed that this backfield was underpriced and going to increase, rightfully so. And Jeff Wilson then landing on IR was something that adjusts Raheem Mostert's range of outcomes so drastically that you probably could have justified him in even as high as the eighth or ninth round. Yeah. Yeah, great point. Yeah, there's a lot of new information there. Uh, I kind of wanted to point out Jamison Williams, who somehow we ended up higher on. This is a guy that I think we were lower on throughout the entire summer, right? We totally were. (laughs) Yeah, so kind of funny that we ended up higher on. Um, 
at the very end. But yeah, we were much more like, you know, take take Jacoby Myers, take Darnell Mooney, which, you know, isn't going to look good, but kind of take some of these dudes who actually will contribute something um, where Williams is just going to be a tough selection, uh, particularly in best ball mania. Daniel, you, you had written about him and kind of how much you were really putting yourself behind the eight ball in best ball mania in particular. Yeah. So obviously Jameson Williams suspension did get cut from six to four games, but there was no way of predicting that the gambling suspension rules would change mid-year. But in Best Ball Mania specifically, one third of the prize money went to the regular season. So you were spending an at one point eighth or ninth round pick eventually fell to the 12th round, which is where we were like, okay, maybe the market just get a little even here. But you're taking a guy who's Mm -hmm. giving you guaranteed zeros for six of the 14 available games plus the bye week which is something you don't want to do and then generally you don't want to be relying too much on vibes based analysis but the two biggest red flags we had on vibes were Kadarius tony and jameson williams where the comments from the coaching staffs aren't good it seems like they don't really they're not enthused to put them on the field jameson struggling with catching the ball so and we capitulated at the end on both of them even though i actually think from like a portfolio stance it's fine to be like if his price just remains this low let's go from zero percent to three or whatever like that's probably actually fine yeah it does make me want to like for next year, like create some kind of average of the entire summer so that I don't yeah, have to yeah. pull up the final capitulation on these guys who we were fading <laughs> on summer. Uh, <laughs> um, but speaking of, well, Kincaid, we never capitulated on, but let's let's have that discussion. This is one of our bigger fades. Ultimately, may look go down and, and it look like a bad fade. Uh, you know, he's getting targeted nonstop now, um, but. The idea here with Kincaid, kind of this idea of what you need out of that, you know, Rashad Penny level 10th round pick or 11th round pick is really a lot more than what you need out of these late round picks and or even like a 15th round pick. Um, Like you should be thinking through the range of outcomes a little bit differently when you're in the 11th round versus the 15th or 16th round, I think. And Kincaid to me just felt like this is a guy who is unlikely to pay off as like um, an 11th round pick. Like he's now he probably will, but I think it's because Dawson Knox got hurt. Like it was looking pretty shaky for him. The idea that they were going to play enough 12 personnel for him to be out there all the time was wrong. Like that just was not going to happen. It happened like the first game and I immediately capitulated, but it wasn't going to happen. I think they were passing out of 12 at like, 30% 30% or something, which is really which is high. really high. <laughs> they, yeah. did, they did push towards the highest. They were like second only to the Falcons. Maybe one other team was in there. But the point was always that they would be a historic outlier. They wouldn't have to be top of the league. They'd have to be top of the decade, top of the past 20 years for that to happen. And up until the Dawson Knox injury, it looked pretty good. I will say maybe we discounted the idea that he could flip Dawson Knox because Knox is, just doesn't do anything. This guy is worthless for the team other than being like, guess he's fine in the red zone maybe he can block but do you want a like this guy will probably flip his starter by week seven eight nine as your tight end nine tight end eight probably still not but i do think by the end of the season he would have flipped knox because knox just doesn't do anything where kincaid looks good but still i don't think that's worthy of what the cost was maybe we didn't factor in enough it wouldn't have gotten us to even on him though yeah i absolutely agree here 
I think that we had the range of outcomes identified. We were comfortable with the risks and it was a player that I think correctly was one to three rounds overpriced. I think we probably thought it was closer to three and in reality it was closer to one. So it was a possible small loss for us, but I think process-wise a small win. Yeah, I think process-wise, I actually feel good about the Kincaid thing. Like we, the over, like kind of our overall point with Kincaid was um, he's probably going to have to flip Knox. My big thing, you know, I went on Liam Murphy's show and we'd argue about them. And my big thing, the, the whole thing kicked off because he was showing me a team with Kincaid and Knox on it. And I was like, that's not going to work. You need, <laughs> like, it's, it's, <laughs> It's one. It's that Kincaid flips Knox is how is how he pays off this very expensive ADP. It he probably has right. Knox comes back. I don't know that Kincaid's going to be back to like fifty percent of the routes, um, and so the Kincaid pick will get there. But part of being out on Kincaid or part of being really hesitant to chase Kincaid was that we were high on Laporta, who. Um, of course we finished below on, but we were high on him throughout. Um, you know, I was, I was drafting Laporta back in, in the big board days. And then we were, um, you know, really into him throughout the entire process. I thought he's like basically as good of a prospect as Kincaid, if not better. And, um, you know, gets drafted highly in the second round and we had a very clear path to starting time the whole summer. So we, you know, we were directing people to another option that I think you still would just rather have straight up or maybe, I don't know, maybe not if Knox is going to be out. But that was definitely one, I think, despite finishing a little bit behind after some steam, there was sort of another way to play this. Like if you want a rookie tight end, why not take a guy who's starting right out of the gate? And has a clear path to being the number two on his team. Yeah, you could have gotten that with like Luke Musgrave too. He's been banged up, but like anytime he's on the field, he's running 80 plus percent of the routes. He's getting like a 15, 20% target share. And he moves the ball downfield a little bit. One other tight end, uh, just a bit above this range that we should probably mention is Evan Ingram, one of our bigger fades. And I feel like, I don't feel that bad about it. He's going to finish as like a top five tight end, but it's going to be mostly war of attrition. Like he's still not had, I think he's had, Almost every single week, he's been like a top 15 tight end, and he's yet to cross like 15 fantasy points. He's like hitting a strong outcome, and it's a relatively small win, especially in terms of spike weeks, which we care about. So like, yeah, we definitely, looking back, would have rather been higher on Ingram, but I still don't feel as bad about it as a bunch of other picks what we've talked about. Something like Penny feels like a way bigger miss than Ingram, which, sure, should have been higher on Ingram. He's going to finish way ahead of tight end eight. I don't know if it's going to be the most meaningful finish ahead of tight end eight. Yeah. I think that when we get the better in best ball points, you know, points over replacement, really trying to yeah. qualify spike weeks, this whole group, Ingram and Joku, Fryer move, which is a group that historically seven to 10th round tight end has been an awful range. You, if you blanket faded these guys, you would be doing yourself a great job. And I think we had Ingram pegged. He was clearly overpriced and he's, I don't think he'll even deliver on his cost. Obviously, with some of the quarterbacks around that, Daniel Jones, Kirk Cousins, Anthony Richardson, it'll boost his stats. But if you could go back in time, 
knowing what you know now, putting injuries aside, I think you'd be extremely happy to be underweight Ingram, if not a zero. Yeah, I, I think Ingram has been a little bit better this season, like, you know, looking at open score and stuff like that, and, and his ability to earn targets has been stronger than I thought it would be. So he's got like he a 23% has... target share this year. Like, he's a meaningful piece of the passing attack, which I think probably also comes down to the Ridley hype being way overblown, like, didn't come in. And say Jones being alpha. hurt. Yeah, that helps too, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, we knew it was concentrated, so, like, Christian Kirk could have gotten hurt or Calvin Ridley could have gotten hurt. And then Evan Ingram was yeah. right there to step up. So that that's not like, I don't mean that to say like, oh, you know, Evan Ingram only is producing because of that. Cause that was always like a pretty solid, you know, part of his range. It's like, it's going to be these four guys. We, we felt confident about that, but it is funny because Evan Ingram has had his, his game log in half PPR, 7.4, 8.7, 10.2, 9.4, 4.8, 7.6, 7.0, 13.8. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not overwhelmed with with how good that is. So I I don't feel bad about being underweight Ingram. He was one of our biggest fades. I think we were generally uh, not as excited about Jacksonville as the market. I uh, just felt like maybe. I mean, I think we had kind of we weren't hyped on Kirk at the end. We got really nervous about Kirk and had him much lower. We weren't that into Zay Jones. Um, I think maybe we were finished slightly ahead on Zay Jones. Uh, never, as we talked about, we were never able to get even with Ridley. We were behind on Lawrence throughout. So it kind of felt like this this offense outside of the, the running backs was a little bit overpriced. So if your macro stance on Jacksonville was play it through the running backs, I feel like, you know, that that's okay. Um, we even yeah, in the summer, Daniel and I both were like, yeah, I, this hasn't proven to be particularly true we're like this Jacksonville team looks like they could be like the next big offense like Trevor Lawrence could take the next step and even with that as we sort of tried to correct on like let's not get too behind on Calvin Ridley like you said last show like at some point we have to make the decision to flip him over T Higgins or not let's just get ahead of that we even I think brought up Trevor Lawrence and we just couldn't match the hype of the offense which proved to be true because they're fine but they're not the they're not taking this next giant step and we even tried to like price that in more towards the end of the summer and we just couldn't get to where, you know, where Evan Ingram projects really well. Zay Jones projects for numbers. Calvin Ridley projects for wide receiver almost one numbers. We just couldn't find that for all of them in the range of outcomes. Yeah. yeah. And I would say that the way, Pat, you described it with four players in a concentrated passing attack that you want to bet on, that's like the C-tier 49ers. But they were priced <laughs> as the B or even A-tier 49ers. And it was really tough to get them. You know, Trevor Lawrence... He's definitely at this point providing less value to fancy teams than Brock Purdy and almost across the board, the Niners equivalent part of that's just the Niners being good. But the Jaguars have failed to on every piece of their passing attack, meaningfully outproduce ADPs, even with contingent upside hitting with the Zay Jones injury and Christian Kirk and Engram being fine, maybe small win pieces. The market was so bullish on them. And this is as someone that was bullish on the Jaguars overall, but I could not get over a team being priced almost near its ceiling in a game where other teams and offenses were not. And with a running back who was not priced near his ceiling. Like that, that was the weird thing about it. It's like, you know, you can, we had the option to play it through ETN and Bigsby. And like, I don't know if for every time you took ETN this summer, you had to take a share of Bigsby some other time. Like you do it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you would do it. <laughs> 
It's like, I don't, I don't, fine. I'll take, I'll have a hundred percent of these two guys, 50 each. Um, I think you'd be happy. So yeah, I think Ingram definitely, I kind of want to go back and look at my, um, my stuff on Ingram that was pointing me to him just being like, basically just like a total jag in the right, kind of in the right situation. Cause he hasn't been this year. And I, and I, that part of it, I think I would got a little bit out over my skis on, um, in a way it's like, he's a, it's a little feeliny and it's like, you know, he had more left in the tank than I gave him credit for. That's just true. Yeah. But most of the, uh, but he's still not great, <laughs> you know? So I think the, there was some signal in that, like this dude's not a star. Like I, that was, that's still quite clear. Um, but there was more there than I than I gave him credit for, uh, for yeah. sure. Through through eight games, he has no end zone targets and no games over fifty air yards. His A dot is below four. Like he's earning yeah. layup targets higher than we gave him credit for even earning layup targets. But that's it. That's all he's doing, and that's the reason we're talking about his like better and best ball points. Is like he's going to finish as the tight end five or whatever. I think he's a tight end six right now, and he's played one fewer game than a bunch of other guys. He's going to finish as a tight end five or so. That more so speaks to the tight ends than it does to what he's doing. We could have, like you said, we could have given a little more credit for maybe not being uh, completely dust, but it wouldn't have moved the needle that much. It honestly wouldn't have because I just felt like he was so overpriced relative to, you know, Fryermuth and Njoku. Like to me, it's like that was the group and we weren't particularly high on that group um, at the end. I think, I don't know, I, I certainly have a fair amount of Njoku and Fryermuth. So my guess is, uh, you know, we were we weren't like totally fading those guys because I didn't. So, you know, but to have him kind of priced up next to Waller, you know, in those early drafts, I still think was like bad. Like he just shouldn't have been in that range. So I'm I'm fine with with how he played. Let's finish out the tight end discussion. Um I think we were generally low this Dalton Schultz, Cole Komet, Chig group. We ended up bumping up Chig at the end. Uh, we should have bumped Schultz up at the end, guys. Yeah, um, I was going to say, we got to stop bumping <laughs> up these guys who we never like at the end. Yeah. Musgrave we bumped up at the end. We were – this is a misbrush, though. This is not one – we've called out a couple of, like, wins that we – like that we faded, but then ended up high. This is a loss where we ended up ahead of the market on, but we did not point people to him when he was at his cheapest, which sure. is definitely disappointing. Um, I mean, I think mother, I don't know, that's fair though, because the point at which we bumped him up is when we started to realize he'd very clearly be his team's like unquestioned tight end one. I think you pointed out that like, do we know he's that much better than like Tucker Craft, or they won't use Josiah DeGuerra on 30% of the snaps, just enough to ruin him. Like I'm, I don't feel too bad about saying like, until we know where he is going, like how he's going to be used, we don't want to kill a roster spot on a position, which typically rookie tight ends are not going to produce a ton of fantasy numbers. And we weren't sure that he had that clear inside track. And as soon as he did, we got like ahead of the market on. So I don't know. I don't actually feel too bad about that one. I think we played the information game quite well. I think that the information was out there a little earlier. I, I know Josh Norris had a great I think it was too, yeah. late July or early August saying the player that will move the most in the next month is Luke Musgrave because he had ADP past 200 readily available in the 18th round. And we were too slow. And at that point, 
it's kind of similar to the Ridley situation where this time the market correctly had caught on that this was a mispriced player. And we kept trying to chase a bit, but never could get out ahead. But another example that the rank, I think, doesn't properly reflect, we were out ahead of Jake Ferguson pretty. We had the same information yes. there. We moved him early, and that's looking like a win. Ferguson was kind of one of those guys that I think we, you know, if you're like, well, why would you take Musgrave when you could take, like, Ferguson, who has actually flashed and does look to be, like, I just felt more confident he was ahead. And then it started to be, um, it, it started to become more and more clear that he was going to be the guy. And then I did some tight end research that also pointed to the idea of these dudes being good run blockers, being really important. And he was a really good run blocker and used a lot on play action. Like even with Schultz there, he was out for a lot of like the play action stuff. I was like, that potentially sets him up for like the play action snaps around the goal line. Um, even if he doesn't have the full share of the of the routes, he should be getting that stuff. And it's that has played out exactly. That's been pretty sweet where he was used in kind of a 60% route rate at the beginning of the season, but he was getting targeted really heavy, heavily, getting touchdowns. And now he's taken over like the full job. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. I think Ferguson was a big win for us. Um, don't, uh, Greg Dulcich, though, big loss. Gerald Everett, too. Gerald Everett, Irv Smith. I actually, um, we were for most of the summer, I think, underweight on Irv. If I recall, he was going ADP 140 to 145. Oh, you I might be right, stayed, yeah. We stayed steady around the 13, 14 turn, which I think I'd hope if you were using the ranks almost strictly, which isn't the most advisable, but if you use them as a guide, you'd be underweight Irv. But if you had Irv, it would have been at the end as he fell. Three rounds. I'm overweight Irv, so I, I think we oh, okay. I had like 10% Irv. So I think I um, had two. Okay. I I, yeah. I don't know if I'm overweight, but I definitely more than two. Uh yeah, I can I can peel through the, the previous versions of it, but I thought we were like consistently somewhat okay. in on him, maybe not to the degree that we ended the summer at. I don't know, guys. He scored a touchdown last night. Let's not let's not close the book on him too quickly. True. No, he, he's like he's dust. This guy's not good. <laughs> Everett, Everett, actually, I'm five percent on. So I think we we finished up on him, but maybe that's not reflective. Um, the Jawan Johnson, I know for a fact, was a big fade for us. We had him. Uh, we like had him low, and then at points, just like nuked him. Um, and that, I mean, he struggled with injuries, but. I mean, they signed Jimmy Graham. <laughs> like, <you> know, this, <laughs> it was. Uh, I think that was a good one to be to be out on. Mm-hmm. But but let's get to Dulcich, who was definitely a bigger miss for us. Um, you know, we finish up ahead of ADP when he's down in the one sixties. We did. I think we did kind of crush him at one point, but we started way too high. We started with him mm-hmm. in kind of the Friermuth group, uh, who's also a miss, but. You know, we started with him in, in kind of that uh, Injoku, Fryermuth, uh pocket, and obviously any shares there, you're just, you know, you're just punting that off. And even shares down in, you know, the 15th round feel pretty bad. 
Yeah, I, think I remember we, we at least you... a little bit mispriced Sean Payton's ability to just play his guys. Uh, like we've probably yeah. we've definitely done that with Marvin Mims in that you see Marvin Mims play and you're like, this dude should play 100 percent of snaps. Never take him off the field because every snap he doesn't play. He's his guy. Game. He drafted him in the second round. Someone tells Sean this is his guy. This is like know, maybe the know. most your guy. I know it, it should it should be, but his guys are the guys he played with or he coached with in New Orleans, regardless yeah. of the team's draft capital. He was probably he was probably telling the GM. I don't remember his team's GM is. He was probably telling the GM like, "No, why are you drafting Marvin Mims? We've got Marquez Callaway on the roster." And he's like, "Well, I'll prove it to you. We've got Marquez Callaway on the roster. We've got Adam a little Crowley Josh McDanielsy. I have to say, it's a it's a little Josh yeah, McDanielsy. Oh, hundred percent is Josh McDanielsy. Like he, I mean, they had Tony Jones, Adam Troutman, Marquez Callaway. I think Traquan Smith signed to the practice squad. Like, well, Jordan Humphrey, I believe, was a guy he maybe had at some point. I like. It's very obvious that he's got his preferences for his guys, and I'd say like." Corton Sutton and Jerry Judy rise to the prominence of it's okay that they're not his guys. They almost have to be played and they're maybe good enough to be played, but any sort of ancillary piece appears to be at great risk of being mm-hmm. uh bench, not played on this team. Plus Craig Dulcich being hurt doesn't help that like, that's a very obvious out to him not playing. So for the ancillary pieces, we could have been a little, a little more cognizant of that, especially because it's not just like, blindly guessing he signed i named all of the guys he signed it's clear he has some sort of intention of doing it the degree to which i think we shouldn't have you know we don't want to call an outlier so much to say true nobodies are going to play over marvin mims could have been a little more cognizant of that but i don't think it would have only moved us in the right direction it's like the arthur smith thing we talked about last show is like should we have acknowledged that he could be again the most run heavy team in the nfl yeah absolutely but do you want to try and call, you know, decade plus outliers? Probably not. You probably don't want to be making yourself the coach whisper of how do these guys go? You could acknowledge that the guys are different, but should we try and pin these incredible outliers in terms of like Marvin Mims looks like the most explayer, most explosive player on the field, yet he plays seven snaps a game? I think if you assume he is the most explosive player in the field, you should also assume he plays a role. So we could have been more humble about it, but I don't think it's that bad to try and not get in the minds of these guys to the degree that it trumps our talent evaluation. Yeah, but I think Dulcich didn't have like some amazing rookie year. Sure. And he, so I think that on that side of it, plus he's like a, you know, a joker tight end, according, <laughs> according to Peyton. You know, that's what he Yeah, when Peyton him. didn't know who he was and then called him a joker, uh, <laughs> that maybe was. was a big red flag. That was a big red flag, and we should, yeah, we should have quickly. I think more quickly. I think it was okay to like have the assumption that like Dulcich was highly drafted. He had a pretty good rookie year. Um, you know, he's a pass catching tight end. Let's be into this. The you know offensive upgrade. But the minute that Peyton was like a Greg Dulcich, what <laughs> we we're like, oh crap. Okay, we should we should have run for the hills a little bit. Um, yeah, and we didn't we didn't really. So that that one's a bit of a bummer. Uh, let's see. Dawson Knox, Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry, I think was, I mean, ultimately probably won't feel like a big win, although he's kind of like a tie. I know he helps like some Mark Andrews teams kind of get, get, get along, you know, cause he had that early season run. So, you know, all of these are going to be, God, we ended up head on Hayden Hurst. We were, we were like fading this guy the entire summer. Um, that's annoying that we ended up high on him, but He's someone You'll I think always we have week we, one with Hayden Hurst. You'll always have week one. We correctly faded him for almost the entire summer. Um, 
just just and for me it was look man this right guy has not like played one tight end in his entire career and i don't think he starts now with Hayden Hurst um let's see yeah so oh Tyler Conklin we ended up fading but this is a guy i took a bunch of is kind of like last you know last available tight end kind of thing um Kate out and we had his draftable right. Yeah, I think that was the right idea. Obviously, Zach Wilson taking over the Jets offense nuked any ceiling outcome, but I think we played Conklin as a guy you could mix in in the later rounds, but we were mm-hmm. primarily focused on Hunter Henry. Dawson Knox were better and for worse. Taysom Hill earlier, and then Kate Otten was someone that we thought was draftable at the end, and that's at least coming out fine. Kate Otten we thought was draftable. Durham Smythe we thought was draftable. This is more of a DraftKings type of... Uh, range Trey McBride we had is is draftable early and then nuked him but you're, some of your early teams probably have McBride some of mine do so that's that's uh somewhat helpful Isaiah likely we were never that in on Michael Mayer was one of my biggest stands I had a ton of Mayer and we didn't lower him until the very end so this one seems like we had we had a fade on him we did not this is the rankings were bullish Michael Mayer which I mean, maybe we'll look good, but probably not. I mean, I there's like process-wise, it could look good. Results-wise, almost certainly not. I don't so. know. I think I think almost certainly taking what would have been like a dead roster spot early in the year at tight end is probably not great. Like, I, I don't yeah. think contingent yeah. tight end is what you wanted. And that's the reason we nuked him at the end is because like the team made it very clear that he was not quite complete as a player yet and that Austin Hooper would be playing. And that proved to be yeah. true. And eventually the second half of our idea that like he's better than Hooper, he'll play more also proved to be true. But at tight end where like, especially late in these rounds, like what are we really expecting from like someone like him versus Hunter Henry? The whole of these with Hunter Henry is like, he's going to play a lot of snaps. He'll get you a 12 point game. That'll survive your Mark Andrews shares or whatever. Or you platoon three of them and you'll survive. You may not win at tight end, but you'll be prevented from losing taking a zero at that spot for half the season in the hopes that he becomes Hunter Henry. You probably could have just tossed this guy out. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that the counter argument is like Trey McBride is like this guy gets in there and then he's like actually doing stuff and the offense does suck there too, but he still gets lots of targets. Um, But that's like, I don't know. You kind of hit the nuts with, with the Trey McBride type thing like that's So, we shouldn't have probably been betting on that as as much as we were. Uh, so I think kind of a sneaky miss for us. It look, doesn't look like it by the final rankings, mm-hmm. but maybe not sneaky if you were using our ranks. <laughs> you would, you <laughs> would uh, be quite aware yeah. that that was a miss. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I think that wraps up tight ends. Yeah. Let's, let's talk wide receiver because... Puka Nakua, I don't want to not have enough time to discuss because I think that arguably is our biggest miss of the entire rankings in terms of guys we should have been high on but weren't. Uh, We were high on the Rams. We were high on Tutu uh, throughout the entire summer. Had him as very draftable, finished ahead on him. Um, We were high on Kyron. We, we finished ahead on Kyron. We were very early on Kyron. I think kind of nailed that in terms of understanding that the fact that this guy's making noise in uh, uh, minicamp and kind of the, the, the spring workouts. 
Um, there was stuff where Jordan Rodriguez, I had <laughs> in Discord, I was sending you stuff. She sent out a picture um, of them going through the running back drills. And she said, sometimes the order of the drills matters. Sometimes the order <laughs> of the drills doesn't matter. And sometimes it does. And it was, um, the order was Akers, Kyron, someone, and then Evans. Probably like Ronnie She's Rivers telling, and Evans. He was probably Ronnie Rivers and Evans. She was telling us the depth chart. Because she, I think more than any athletic writer, makes a note of the fact that she's not allowed to tell you the depth chart. And she sent out that picture. I was like, this is her telling us the depth chart. And I, and I think that's exactly what it was. Um, and we also had information last year, you know, week one. Yes. Uh, the opener, yes. Kyron, there was a lot of steam in the hours before the game. And then he had a high ankle sprain in his opening kickoff. Special teams, like right? special teams. Opening yeah. kickoff. I, I played him in yes. DFS that day. It was brutal, but beside the point. Mm. He was also rested during the preseason. Yep. Zach um, Evans played deep into the fourth quarter of game. So it was very clear that they had two backs they wanted to use and no one else. And the good thing is the first back was very bad. And we knew that giving Kyron such a clear path to being what yes. he has ultimately become. So yeah, like you said, we were high on him throughout, ended up pretty high still. Yeah. And we, yeah, right. We faded acres, big fade for us. Um, Kyron was at, was very unathletic, but he was highly productive in college. So is a talent-based bet I thought kind of underrated. So anyway, we crushed Kyron, okay? Don't get too mad at us with the Rams. But I think in some ways it makes the Puka fade like even more aggravating because we were high on Stafford. We were high on Cup. We were high on Kyron. We were high on Tutu. We were low on Jefferson. So it's like, on Higby, guys, I believe. <laughs> just let's we're low on Higby. So let's just not, we're about to, we're about to completely nail this team. Let's just not screw up one of the most important picks in the entire uh, summer. And yet we did. Puka Nakua, we were never high on, finished low on. And I think was just a – here's my take. I think it was a process miss in a fairly significant way because we were willing to get there mentally on Michael Wilson. And if we were willing to think through, third-round pick doesn't have a great profile at all but like can do something interesting and they like him. That should have been enough with that's Puka. a good, uh, good example. Like that's the perfect yeah. corollary and we like yeah. this offense more obviously. So yeah. yeah, I think, I think this is one where we unnecessarily shot our shot way too much with, we weren't high on two, two early in the year. And then it became very clear. Like he'd be a big part of the offense sans cup. And we're like, Oh, this is it. Like two, two's going to crush. He did crush it out without a uh, cup. And it turns out that like Puka's just a lot better. And it was easy to see that he still could have been involved in the offense early in the year. Yeah. The, uh, no, no excuses. Got to play better on this one. Yeah. Especially you bring up the great point. Cup got hurt and you have four plus weeks, potentially the whole season if Cup were to re-aggravate it, where it's a completely wide open depth chart, depth chart where we did not like the other top two options in Tyler Higby and Van Jefferson. We should have, been willing to at least be at the field with Puka and borderline irresponsible for us to have like Josh Downs, like Michael Wilson and thought, no, we, you can't be taking Puka on a more wide open depth chart. And there are aspects of his profile that pointed to him being good. I was not in on him, but like you can squint and see it. He killed yards per route run in his yards per route off the charts. Yeah. Off the charts. Like some of the best you'll yeah. find. He didn't break out until his third year. He was a fourth year declare who had to transfer to a smaller school to get more work. That's why I wasn't in on him. But if you like, 
sort of, if you just toss out the first two years of his college career, I don't think you should always do this, but if you look at the second half of his college career, he's incredible. He was also extremely versatile. He ran a ton in college for, in terms of a receiver getting rushing production. Like he does a lot. He checks a lot of the boxes, just had big red flags, but I think that gives him an extremely wide range of outcomes. So this guy has a high ceiling and he's got a very clear path to snaps on an offense that should pass a lot, should be decent at it, at, at worst be decent at it. Yeah, not really a good reason uh, to not have. Yeah, I think it's a good reason to maybe not have been in on him in the beginning that he you know, was a uh, sure, yeah. fifth round pick, right? Yeah. And like, you know, okay, the vast majority of the time, this fifth round picks is not going to contribute really much at all. But yeah, late to clear, late breakout, fifth round pick probably doesn't turn into much, especially when you have Cooper Cup blocking your way you know, as we yeah. thought we did in late July, whatever. Yeah. So, but there was a period pretty quickly where we were like, no, this guy, in terms of the opportunity he's going to get, it was probably similar to more of a third round pick. So I think making the mental adjustment of, first of all, it's the Rams. So they never have any picks. So their fifth round picks are mm -hmm. always going to have more opportunity than, you know, most teams fifth round picks because they didn't have any other rookies to compete with. So they're right there, you know, we should have probably made a like a mental adjustment to a fourth round pick. And then already you're like, you know, I'm going to rob as a fourth round pick. So we, we shouldn't be writing dudes off for, for that. Yeah, and the, and then, the market gave us a chance to fix this. They had him at 190 ADP, right? Is yeah. the right column with the decimals. 196. Yeah. They like, sure. He rose from like probably not being drafted much at all early in the summer to being drafted. But the yeah. market, gave, market gave us a chance to, to fix this mistake. And, and we didn't. still didn't. Yeah. yeah. Additionally, on the Rams, all the reporting from Jordan Rodriguez and their other beats was that they were trying to get as many young players involved as possible to see what they had in not a reset year, but a retool. Let's find out if any of these young players can be building blocks for the future. I think they had 20 rookies on their roster, something absolutely crazy, especially for a team with no high value picks. So I think that there were signals that, oh, if this player is good, or even if they're not good, they're going to be given a shot to play. And cupping out was such a clear signal that even if we don't like Puka, we like the idea of routes in a Matthew Stafford offense. Yes, that's another that's another great point. So that that's just a very frustrating miss, and obviously a frustrating miss um, to not have a lot of Puka because he's like one of those guys. It's become, I would say, for a minute, I was like you're going to have to have him. Like, it's like Amon Ross St. Brown in 2021, where it's like, you just, you just had to have this guy. And I don't feel as, you know, concerned about that, but it's still a huge miss. I think probably our biggest miss. And, and I think, yeah, worst problem. you know, maybe you could hold up someone else as like a, um, Actually, this guy's exceeded your ranking. I don't more, even know like, if that's true, though, because, I mean, the early isn't. season, he's going to advance you so well. But even when Cup came back, he was putting up like 25, 30% target shares. The only reason we're not happy about it now is because back-to-back -back weeks of Brett Ripien. If we get Stafford back from bye week, his thumb is healthy. We're probably back to not like crazy 40% target shares like we saw, but 25 to 30, great talent, and cost you a, literally a pick that wasn't taken in all of drafts. So I think both... Process wise, we have a few process mistakes that I, I'd be happy if we didn't have. He's up there with them. And I think results wise, he's almost certainly, unless unless Stafford doesn't come back, almost certainly going to be uh, the biggest like 
our negative value over replacement or however you could measure it. Yep. Tank Dell, I think, is someone who we had like kind of in the mix throughout, but I don't actually, my exposure is pretty low on him. And so my guess is we were probably like had him in the draftable range, but not high enough at any point. Um, uh, I, so I pulled up a June uh, version of our uh, rankings document. 10 spots isn't a ton this late in the draft, but we are 10 spots higher on Dell okay. uh, than ADP in June. I, you know, I, I could pull through a lot of them, but I do think we were higher basically up until the crazy bobbling catch in like the first or second preseason game. Then the market went nuts and it wasn't clear that he would be even a starting receiver. And I want to say in week one, he still kind of split reps with Noah Brown and eventually Noah Brown gets hurt. They realized what they have in Dell. But I feel like we played that one perfectly where we saw his talent and his potential to unseat someone like Noah Brown or, you know, John Mechie, Robert Woods, et cetera. And we bought into it. And then when the market assumed a ton that he was going to play a lot and be a breakout, we got out. So feel good about that. Agree. I think in general, so like wide receiver, we have some frustrating misses. And we probably, what I'll say is I think in general, I was too conservative at the wide receiver position where like we, you know, kind of became a bit Robert Woods, like directionally accurate, I think a little bit on Robert Woods, but playing it through Dell uh, would have been much nicer. But hey, Dusty Veteran gets there on the Texans. Turns out it's Noah Brown. But, mm -hmm. you know, you uh, there was that that play was OK. Um, but I think maybe, you know, not taking enough risk with some of these rookies is something and and we love rookies. Like we 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 were high on downs. We were high on Michael Wilson, but maybe picked winners a little bit too much. I was going to say pick, probably picked winners too much. We really liked Mingo, and I, I get why we liked Mingo. But like, was the thesis of the play that different with someone like him versus someone like Puka? Especially looking at the early season potential for for Puka Nakua. Yeah, probably not. Great I point. think if we had just more blanket, let's be eight picks ahead, or like you know scale it so the cheaper picks are easier to be ahead on scale it ahead of ADP on like nearly every rookie probably would have worked out really every well. rookie with the pulse, right? Like we didn't yeah. have to, we, sure, we yeah. didn't need to, I think we, we were high on Cedric Tillman and then Cedric Tillman tumbled down the ranks because he wasn't really a part of anyone's plans in Cleveland. Like the tea leaves on like who, who is going to be in the mix on these teams and as a rookie, um, I think we probably should have been slightly overweight on basically that entire group. Yep. Uh, and I mean, we were uh, overweight on that group on average, but we picked our shots a, a, a bit too much. A little too because much. It, it caused us to, to have some misses, both in being too high on Mingo and being too low on Puka, things like that. Yeah. I think Mingo's an excellent comp because we were willing to put away the prospecting bias we had that is probably a bad prospect because we knew it was an open depth chart without much competition. Yeah, yeah. And then if you look at the Rams... And draft capital. I think the other thing that's really, at least, and probably yeah. overweighted in my mind, but... The, the big thing for me that I could get there with Mingo compared to like a Puka is that this dude was a second round pick. Yeah. Yeah. Even though like we probably felt very similarly about them as prospects, they weren't the same yeah. prospect, but just in terms of like, if you made me rank them, they probably showed up pretty similarly. Like Mingo was like not particularly productive in his career. And he broke out like I think third or fourth year and it all came against, I want to say like Vanderbilt who was nearly dead last in the NCAA in or in FBS an EPA for dropback allowed, and I think an FCS school, if I remember correctly, like Arkansas State or something like that. I had no, really no interest in, in him as a prospect, but then I saw the clear path to snaps and the draft capital, and I was like, sure, I'm in. I'll throw away 
quote, my biases, but my biases were our ability to evaluate talent, which proved to be true with him. We just gave up on that, but we couldn't throw away our biases for Puka. And that yeah. just turns out to be an enormous whiff. We didn't completely blow this though. Josh Downs, I think, is a good one. Okay. Yeah, we, yeah. we got some of these some of these rookies we we nailed. Well, I think Wilson we were like to be a good one. Uh, like on the field a ton, a few good games yeah. for how cheap he was, like probably undrafted in early drafts, maybe I'd imagine. Turns out to be pretty good. And he's been somewhat productive with their terrible backup quarterback. Things could go better down the road. He's supposed to come back next week. Kyler is supposed to as well. Yeah, like we I think we nailed rookies as a cohort, but we could have squeezed a lot more juice out of the out of rookies had we been a little less granular with our our takes. Yeah. I still feel and good about how we played the rookie class in general. In general. Daniel, you made the point last show that like we get this really wide range of outcomes with the rookies. And I think when we know that playing time is very likely to be there, then we really should just be taking cracks. Um, and so it's not, so that's where I, I know like Cedric Tillman and some of these guys that look like they may not just not have a role at all. You want to be very wary of that. But if anyone looks like, okay, no, they're going to be out there. Like maybe not for a full-time role, but they will have a role on this team. Then we should, we should be, I think probably pretty overweight. All of those guys. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's rare in fantasy football where most of the players are known, at least their talent to some ability, to get a complete dice roll. But those dice rolls have such wide distributions in game for you. In regular season prizes, need a top one out of 10,000 to really get meaningful cash. And then in Best Mania to have not only getting through to the final week, but then one out of 440. So you want players that are high deviation or just the actual range of outcomes they have is so far detached from the projected median when they get the opportunity, which is what rookies provide, which is why blanket be overweight on rookies when you don't have playing time concerns is always advisable. Kind of the opposite of that was the Giants group, which we were high on and should not have been high on. Um, Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton. It's like, hey, hang on a second. We got an injury-prone tight end. And, you know, not that we're injury-prone guys, but, you know, Darren Waller's an older guy. He's fallen off a little bit. He's being held up as, like, he's going to be the clear number one, which he probably will be, but how much of this offense is going to be able to soak up for the entire season. And no one else here is expensive. Um, we kind of, like, Jalen Hyatt bounced around a bit in the ranks, but generally we were high on Slayton. We were high on Isaiah Hodgins. Um, we ended up moving Wandale up and down the ranks, but had him at the end as draftable. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think the answer here was Hyatt, that you should have been high, like, as part of this rookie conversation, we should have been overweight Hyatt and probably underweight everyone else from a talent-based uh, viewpoint. What do you What do you guys think? Because, I mean, Hodgins is going to go down as a, as a, we ended up low on him in the final, but, you took plenty of Hodgins with these rankings. You took plenty of Slayton. I don't know. Maybe like Slayton is out there constantly, you know, and he was free. So is that, is that like a Zay Jones type of, yeah, you know, that's, process that's what I was going to say. Hit, I don't or? Feel too bad about how cheap he was and the fact yeah. that up at, like including last, uh, last week, which as of now is week nine, 90% route rate. The week before that, 100. The week before that, 81, yeah. 93. 
if Daniel Jones is playing and the offensive line is healthy, that's useful. I'm not going to say it wouldn't have been a big win. Like he's not that good. It wouldn't have been a big win. We right. pinned his role fairly correctly. And on the other hand, I don't feel too bad about Hyatt because he's still running a pretty limited set of routes. And we knew that early in the season that he might not play at all. He's playing some now, but it's not enough to be relevant, even if the offense had turned out well. Yeah, you don't want Hyatt, but I think process-wise, we probably just should have been a little bit ahead. I don't know. I feel like we, you know, we talked about uh, someone like Cedric Tillman, who the team clearly just like he wasn't going to play in three yeah, wide, and like Hyatt ended up running as like the wide receiver three in the early summer practices. He got up on the. It seemed like he was working his way up the depth chart a little bit. But that should tell us something about like he is not guaranteed to play in three wide mm-hmm. early in the season. And he did not. He didn't even cross like a, a 40% route rate till week four. Has one game over 70% route rate. So I think he falls into the bucket of, of rookies who their teams clearly didn't have a plan for, whether it was like mismanagement or a, a changing of their evaluation of him. It feels like we generally got that right. And we generally got uh, Slayton right. The miss was sort of what would end up happening to Hodgins. I don't even, Wandale was all over the place. I would push back a little on Hyatt because I think, although we felt confident that Slayton would have this role to start the season and could maintain it, this was not a good receiving core. You have zero top 50, possibly zero top 75 actual talent in league. So you have the opportunity to, when Hyatt was going in the 17th, 18th round, which he was for part of the summer. And I feel like we told people to try and buy the dip on him because you have the chance for late season upside. Not as strong of a prospect, nor was he as expensive as rookie or Amonra St. Brown, but you have the chance for a guy that could be the leading target getter at wide receiver, at least, in an offense that we did not project to be this bad. I think we played him fine having people probably at market, maybe slightly above. Yeah, I'm 9% on Hyatt, so I don't think we... We didn't fade him, but what I'm saying more with Hyatt is that, like, you're overweight Slayton for sure. You're overweight Hodgins for sure. You, you know, and I wish I was. <laughs> you know, I wish I, I wish I only played it with like a, a slightly ahead of market on Hyatt. Um, with the talent-based idea of like Hod- Hodgins is not great. He was not bad. It's sort of like I think I got. It's like, hey, these guys are okay. And they're free and there's opportunity, but you know, that was, that's not really enough because we didn't, it would have been enough if we're betting on the giants offense to be like, awesome. Then I think you're psyched. But with the added thing of the, actually the giants offense has been not one you want to be invested in at all. It's, it's really hurt. And you know, it's more opportunity cost than it might seem to ha- to have taken Isaiah Hodgins. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I was never in on Hodgins. I, I think I'm the one who got us to move this guy down. So I don't feel bad about that one. I like. Well, I don't. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't know. I I don't think we could have played it like that much differently. In that, like, by the end, we correctly pegged that like Hodgins maybe wasn't the best bet. Slayton was going to run a lot of routes, and that Hyatt probably wasn't gonna play early on don't feel too bad about this one because like by this measure Cedric Tillman would like could have been ahead of ADP and it would have been fine in that like he could be a late late season upside guy I think he ran around a bunch of routes last week because they traded DPJ so like but I don't I don't want to lump those I think those two guys should be treated the same and negatively 
Yeah. Devontae Parker is another one where it's like a Slayton type of bet. Yeah. That we <laughs> where like and honestly, like maybe he will pay off because he was so cheap and he will be out there. Uh we had a concussion this last week, but like they don't have anybody. They could certainly use like if he yeah, catches a touchdown Jaylen the right Rieger week. last week, I think. Yeah. So you know, Parker could could get there, but I think I do feel like, and this is weird because I don't think we, we the, the rankings were not conservative in general when it comes to rookies, but looking back, I think played it a little too conservatively at the wide receiver position with some of these dusty vets versus rookies. And yeah, the, the dusty vet route running, we probably generally pegged the routes correctly, but got undersold yeah. just how useless those routes were for like Parker, for Hodgins, for uh, Slayton, like all of these guys, like we were correct on Allen Robinson. I think we all acknowledged he could run some routes. We boosted him from, I don't even know if he was in the rankings to in the rankings, but still like mostly undraftable. Mm-hmm. Could have just kept these do nothing, run a lot of routes guys there. And for every Adam Thielen we missed on, we would have nailed Parker, uh, Slayton, Juju, Robinson. We would have had six to seven dead roster spots that you as the listener weren't drafting. But at the very least, if I may add, the dead roster spots you do have, you're taking the 16th round instead of the 10th with Juju. So I think we Mm -hmm. hit the qualified part of it correctly, where we said, here's the archetype of route runner that's almost certainly bad. But we completely whiffed on some of the quantify of how much is this route runner going to matter in terms of the opportunity cost, where you could have rookies, even though we missed on some. I mean, Michael Wilson, Josh Downs, the hits, but wish Pukunuku was in there, where you do have to consider the opportunity cost of even the late round picks when it's not guys with high positive tail outcomes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think it's okay to pay for routes to some extent, but we paid, we were like, we're not paying for routes in round 12. Okay. And then in round 16, we're like, look at all these routes. You know? <laughs> it's like, if, I wish we just like kept our heads a little bit more on the routes. Where it's like, no, it's okay to draft these guys now. We don't need to fade them now. But they maybe shouldn't be like targets. Um, yep. I think it's just for next year. Like that's how Parker I was think a it. target of ours. And Michael Hardman was a target of ours because he looked yeah. like he could get routes. And like these guys truly should have been like correlate this in the 18th round. One yes. of these guys per draft, correlate them in the 18th round. And you'll get a spike. Like Parker could, like you said, he's probably going to run a lot of routes as it turns out over the next half of the season. Could turn out to be uh, useful in that sense because he'll earn targets at a rate undeserving because they have no one capable of earning targets, but one of those guys per roster and correlate them should have been the answer. Not like, Oh, throw two or three of them starting in the 16th. Like none of that. Take a routes guy. If you have Kenny Pickett, take an Allen Robinson, like one of these. I I honestly think like there's that archetype. I want to just like, say like glue to ADP, like just glue, um, whatever Devontae Parker, the Devontae Parker of next year, just glue him to ADP. Cause like, he's a perfectly acceptable final round pick if you have Patriots. But it should not be anyone that you're... And I also... Look, he's going to get the route, so I, I don't want to say fade this guy either. But, um, you know, building backdoor stacks around Devontae Parker. <laughs> Even at the time, I was like, I think this is bad. <laughs> I think I'm doing yeah. something dumb. Yeah. Um, I have a lot yeah. of Parker, Henry, uh, Mac Jones teams. 
And uh, they're looking frisky right now in that they've been terrible all year <laughs> and they might get there. Like Henry's got a few usable games. Parker may get some, but like, yeah, it, it should have been like complete, like you said, tight ADP, pick one or two of these guys, complete dice roll, have no preferences. And when guys get priced up, like Juju also fits this bill. Adam Taylor, unfortunately, also fits this bill. If they get priced up, then tie back to the ADP of the players that look like them. But for the players that look like them, just roll the dice. Doesn't matter. Wait, what do you mean that by the players that look like them? Like for like the whole cohort, like they're all the same. Why did we yes. care about Devontae Parker? He looks just like Allen Robinson. Because he was cheap. Have... Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. yeah. All... No, I felt better about Devontae Parker's routes, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe they're, dude, these guys are all terrible. Like Kendrick. I mean, Parker's run like... all the, Parker's run a bunch of routes. The yeah. Routes yeah. Are there, his... man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his, I think his routes, yeah, they started dipping really bad when they realized Kendrick Bourne was good though which is right, an indictment right, right. of Parker to say that like, it does not That's take true. much to kick, kick you out of the rotation. They'll come back up because he's a veteran. Now Kendrick Bourne is out. We didn't know yeah. Kendrick Bourne was going to be good, but like we should treat these guys all the same and view them all pretty negatively in that they're 17th, 18th round picks exclusively. And if the market wants to shoot their shot with uh, Adam Thielen or Juju Smith-Schuster, let them do that and let us ex- just view them all as the same guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, if they're in the 16th round or later, then they're totally acceptable picks no matter where you like the market can say this guy's a 16th rounder and this guy's an 18th rounder. We probably shouldn't get like real worked up about that because they're all just kind of dart throw correlated plays. When they get into the 12th round, like I, I'm I'm still happy to be out on that cohort, even though it costs us stealing. Um, yep. But, you know, that to me, that's like a little bit of, of the tax you pay, as I said last show. but. Um, yeah, when you get down into the later rounds, having some of these guys as targets because of the routes, yeah, felt felt a little silly. I, I think though, that conservative mindset on the late rounds did actually serve us well at running back. Where right, if if you're gonna say, look, you're paying for routes, these guys are targets because you're getting the routes. We do not want truly dead roster spots. And so, like, to show up in week 17 with Devontae Parker and, like, you know, I'm like, well, he's going to run 80% of the routes. You know, he might be catches a touchdown. That's not great, but it's a hell of a lot better than showing up with, like, Evan Hall or, I mean, he's on IR, but, you know, one of these random dudes. Chris Evans. Yeah. Chase Brown. Right. It's like we didn't even – Sean Tucker, who we – got ahead of on at the very end, but we're, we're not high on throughout most of the summer. Um, it's, it's a, you just, those truly dead roster spots hurt. And so that was part of like, I do, I wish we just like said, okay, but let's play it through the rookies, rookie wide receivers who we know are going to have a role and are most likely to be contributing in the final weeks. That's how you play for not having dead roster spots as opposed to just buying routes. Yes, <laughs> I think I've been clear on that. But I think if you use these ranks, you are feeling good about your late round running back group. It had way too much Fournette for your liking like three weeks ago, but now you probably feel okay about that, right? We didn't, we weren't crushing um, Kareem Hunt, although we had him as draftable. Um, so you probably not like have a huge bag of him. You're you have probably zero Malik Davis. You probably, you know, you probably have zero. 
do spawn. I mean, I might have a little taste to do spawn, but not not much. Maybe and probably only on DraftKings. Uh, even as as late as June, early as June, we had do spawn behind ADP. Like especially that late yeah. in the draft, there's always someone ahead of ADP because it's so volatile back there. That like maybe we had him as draftable. Maybe you threw him into a Dallas team, but we didn't have him ahead of ADP, and we weren't particularly close. Right. Yeah, I think we, I think we did a really good job there. It's as we kind of like. It was a little bit of the flip side of this thing that we just spent a while on um, criticizing ourselves for with the rent with the wide receivers is that we weren't really chasing the true dark throw running backs that not only are, are we're likely to provide total zeros for the entire season, like like we drafted with Elijah Mitchell and Tank Bixby, unfortunately, but like basically like weren't like don't even have a shot of doing anything now like there's theoretical upside to elijah mitchell and tank bigsby more bigsby but even still there's today there's theoretical upside to having those guys on your roster there's like no theoretical upside to just when you whiff on one of these running backs and i also think as we talked about with kyron right like we did a good job i think of identifying guys that bubbled up josh kelly bubbled up clear number two let's get on that Right now, it hasn't really worked out because he stinks, but we were right that he was a clear number two. He got that opportunity. Um, and so when guys bubbled up, then they became draftable for us. But if they never did, then, um, you know, we were out. I would say the biggest miss on this was Zach Moss, who we never really viewed as someone who bubbled up. And, and he uh, there were some I know Rich Rebar was on him at the end and uh, there were there were some tea leaves there that he mattered. And we didn't really read those right. But, mm-hmm. you know, we were never that high on like Zemir White, who never really bubbled up, right? Because it's a sort of like Amir Abdullah's out there doing stuff mm-hmm. behind Josh Jacobs. Like, so I think this general group of guys who were, there's no clear, who were clearly not the clear number two, um, where there's just a high likelihood that you're, you're just adding a zero. Um, we, we, we steer people away from those guys without too much uh, opportunity cost of missing like the Chirons of the world. Yeah, the only person I would say, oh, I wish we had more information was with the Ravens backfield and Gus Edwards. But obviously with J.K. Dobbins going down, Gus becomes a drastically different pick. But we were so in on Dobbins and the Ravens offense, and we were not that in on Gus. Part of it was, oh, Justice Hill's there. Keaton Mitchell flashed in the preseason. Are we sure Gus is going to be the 1B or would Gus's role meaningfully increase were Dobbins to go down? The answer was yes, enough to the point where we should have been at least closer, if not overweight, on him. I think we played Gus well, actually. I, we were we were high on Gus early. I have nine percent Gus, and we, you know, I think we were pretty high on him early on, and then it became clear that he wasn't the locked in number two. Justice Hill was making noise, and was at one point you know, post Dobbins, like kind of in a 50, 50 spot with Gus, Gus got his run, but now, you know, maybe it's Mitchell. And so I think it was right to low, especially having been ahead on him early on. Then we get the reports that this, this situation is murkier than we thought. Um, I think we actually think we played Gus pretty well. Yeah. I forgot we were ahead on Gus in the summer at any point, but yeah, I just checked June, June, like third or whatever to June 30th. We were ahead the entire month. And I think it's at the point where we're like, there's still some risk with J.K. Dobbins in a number of ways. 
And we want to play that through Gus. And then as the information changed, we dropped him pretty deep. Maybe we could have bet a little more on the contingent upside. You know, like a lot of guys have strong contingent upside. But as you pointed out, like there was a very ambiguous point in which it looked like Justice Hill could have leapt him. Not too bad on this one. I don't don't feel bad. Yeah, and I think like the Dallas thing, we mentioned Malik Davis, Deuce Vaughn. We did end up in the final iteration ahead on Rico Dowdle. And, you know, you probably only have like one or two shares of Rico Dowdle if you use these. So do most people. Most people don't have. So do most people. (laughs) Yeah. And to not have chased on the wrong guy the whole summer. Like you got it's to use something that pick we talked about else. early in the summer is like, we want to, there are spots where we can lock in guys for roles like Hunter Henry from may, whatever we knew he was going to play a bunch of snaps really wanted to be on him as a last round pick or like Baker Mayfield was going to start want to be on him. Cause we knew, and we don't know about Malik Davis versus Rico Dottle. So let's keep both of those guys very low or not in the ranks. And once we get the information, Act on it. Act on it hard. And that's what we got with like Rico Rico Dowdle being 10 picks ahead of uh, ADP at the end of the summer. And he literally no way was in our rankings May 1st or whatever. No, Keontae no. Ingram. I, yeah. Keontae Ingram was someone who early in the summer we didn't know. 100% out on. We were like 30 spots behind ADP as of June or whatever. Then at the final weeks, we realized like he was probably the number two. He's not very good, but he's the number two. Get him in there and get him a few spots ahead of ADP. And actually, we didn't even really take like massive stands on some of these guys. We're like, I don't have a ton of faith in them, but he should be on your radar as an above average pick with your 18th round pick. You can see it with like Doddle, Ingram, these types of guys. Brita, we had two spots ahead of ADP on Brita. Yeah. He's an above average pick at the last pick of your draft because we started to make it very clear that he had forced Eric Gray out of the backfield and like Gary Brightwell wasn't going to be a thing or whatever. Like, so sure. He's a little bit of a better pick. I don't think Eric Gray's in the ranks. Or it ever really was in the ranks. Yeah, yeah, no, it just wasn't. He it wasn't clear was. that Brito would be like the one, not one for one, but would be the starter even because they had drafted Eric Gray. As soon as we saw the preseason, you should be like, oh, Brito will start if anything happens to Saquon. We need that confirmation, and we got it. Get him ahead of ADP. You don't have Eric Gray. You don't have Zach Evans. Would be another. Yeah. Like we until we felt good about Kyron to put him in, we we weren't really ranking uh, those guys. You do have some Evan Hull because we misread the Colts situation just just largely. Yeah, you know, at running back. Yeah. Um, that, well, we did okay. Run, running with back. The non- I mean, backfield. whole backfield. Yeah. Whole backfield. Whole backfield. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although we had Alec Pierce too high. Uh, but, had Jelani you know, Woods but, in there at one point. Had Jelani Woods in there at one point. Although we got him out at least. We got him out. Um, out. Yeah, kicked him out. But, yeah, we misread that backfield. Um, basically, <laughs> didn't get anything in the, that backfield right. except. We didn't have Evan Hall ranked early when we didn't know who it was. We just had Jonathan Taylor. So, you know, yes, you have some Hall from like late, well, probably early September um, or no, late, probably late last week of August Mm -hmm. uh, into September. You've got some Hall. But I think overall, like we did this well and something I really want to do again. Like, I think this is the way to play it. You, you only draft running backs who we actually know have path to value the entire summer. But when a new guy becomes one of the players that is important uh, or, you know, becomes draftable, when a new player becomes draftable, you should probably be pretty aggressive about getting that guy. I I would say personally, I probably didn't get aggressive enough on Kyron. um, And we probably should have been a little bit more bullish on him in the ranks. There was part of me that just felt like it was a little silly 
but like it's like Kyron Williams. <laughs> this dude's not mm-hmm. good. And we, but he, like he's good enough, but he's not, you know, he's good enough to be in the mix. But am I really going to like plant a flag on Kyron Williams? Like, come on. Yeah, yeah should, that, you know, that adds on with the year prior, Isaiah Pacheco being the poster child of this, where he rarely drafted for most of yeah. the summer. And he yeah. screamed up boards partially because you want pieces of the Chiefs offense, but also because he had such a clear path to displacing a useless high investment back there. It's Clyde Edwards-Solaire. Here was Cam Akers. And it was clear Chiefs, pretty sure Clyde wasn't good. Rams didn't have much investment. Akers had benched him multiple times. Unclear it almost traded him the year before. Yeah, mm-hmm. so the Kyron one was more of, we reacted way more than the market. We didn't react enough to the true value of they don't like their starter. Their starter might not want to be here anymore. It was just such a clear mutual... <laughs> Parting. It was a missed opportunity. It was like it was a hit, but also a missed opportunity because we could have been like these like legendary upside is is kind of leading the charge on Kyron Williams and then he becomes a massive hit. So it's a bit disappointing because yeah, we didn't take as big a stand as we could have. Oh, Devin Singletary is a guy that's kind of interesting because we were high on him and then got low on him because um it was a sort of Gus Edwardsy type thing. Yeah, Damian Pierce played every single preseason snap. It looked like there was no passing down committee back type of work available for Singletary. Like a week or two in, that kind of looked to be true. Uh, like the bigger thing is it won't matter because neither of these guys are just any good on this team. But yeah, like that's another one where like we reacted strongly to information and ultimately like it's not going to matter because he ended up getting the start and he ended up being terrible. But yeah, I think we kind of properly gauged that information even below and Sean Tucker like, he started the season as the RB too. Like yeah. we kind of nailed the reaction to it. We had we were pretty ambivalent on the backfield early in the summer. He started the season as the RB two. He was just bad and he got benched. But like once you get the information, you play it the way you can, and you'll find enough Kyron Williams to outweigh the Sean Tuckers because both of them were clearly the RB two. Kyron ended up being RB two plus one B. Yeah, and hopefully, like you know, next year when we don't take a Sean Tucker in. June, it's because we are taking that year's Puka, you know? And yeah. I think, like, from a macro perspective, the, you know, not just taking blind stabs in the dark on random running backs in the late rounds in June is good. We overplayed, but just pay for routes at wide receiver. We should have been saying, no, take not random stabs in the dark on rookie wide receivers who will be you know, have a much better chance of being active and being good, you know, and having earned their team's trust by the end of the season than this running back who, like, might not be active um, at any point. Like, Zach Evans, like, you know, he was a very suspect prospect, didn't seem to be making much noise. You know, you're psyched you don't have him, but we could have, I think, then leveraged that the next yeah. level up and said, let let's go ahead and then make these high upside bets elsewhere. And instead we made, I think, overly conservative bets with some of the, not entirely, you know, we were high on Downs and Wilson and some of these other rookies, but we definitely played it too conservatively. And, you know, I kind of made a joke out of drafting Robert Woods. And that's like, again, like not the worst way to play it, but certainly wasn't the best way. And 
would have been better if he had like tight end eligibility or something. Like if it was a dusty <laughs> kind of tight end, you know, yeah. then you go, okay. If it's literally the Zach Ertz play from a couple of years ago, <laughs> even this year. Would have been this you know, year, yeah. Then you're psyched. Yeah. But paying for those routes at wide receiver, I think is only really going to pay off in a big way if the offense ends up being like elite. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Let's close out with quarterback who uh, I think we have some, this is, if wide receiver was was frustrating and running back was largely good, yeah. Quarterback is kind of like more like tight end, where there's it's sort of in the middle for us. I think that um, our general philosophy on the quarterback position was be done a little earlier than the market says you should be done. General, I guess we got Tannehill up in the ranks at the end. We weren't really drafting a ton of him early. Um, because of job security issues. Mac Jones was kind of last call uh, for us. You see, like, we didn't really, like, Jimmy Garoppolo, we have way low. Um, Baker, we have way low. Uh, so we we weren't, I guess, where did Howell end up? Howell, we end up, yeah, we were way low on Howell. Ritter, we ended up moving up on, but um, we were we were low on him for most of the summer. And... Yeah, our feeling was like, get done at quarterback before job security becomes a major issue. So we were going to be overweight um, Stafford. We ended up, I think for the summer, we were overweight Pickett, although we were low. We didn't chase him up. Uh, Probably even with love, uh, overweight Purdy. That was one of our bigger quarterback hits. Overweight Carr, uh, which feels gross even now, but that's probably okay. Um, Wilson, we were kind of even on throughout, I think. And then kind of overweight this group that's just been decimated by injuries, which has been unfortunate, obviously. But I think Stroud ends up becoming a big hit for us. Um, not someone that we like identified as like a must draft necessarily, but we finished 18.2 picks ahead of ADP on, and we're high on him throughout the entire summer, as we were with Bryce Young, which sucks <laughs> but you know it's we kind of i think from an archetype perspective it made sense you know be be in on these guys who have job security they're gonna play the entire season they're gonna start week one we don't know how good they are be overweight both stroud was the cheaper of the two um so you, you should have plenty of stroud and you don't have much ritter or howl right and you could say i think it's funny because like if I told you you can be overweight Stroud and Young, you'd be like, great, I'll be overweight that duo because Stroud is such a hit. And if you gave the same choice, you can be overweight Ritter and Howell, you'd probably take that too because Howell's been such a hit. But mm-hmm. maybe this is biased since we were overweight, the, the Young-Stroud group. But I still think that's a better way to play it and a better place to be in because Young is still a starting quarterback in the NFL. And he will get you some points. Ritter is like done. So... That just that hurts if you show up in week 17 with the Ritter team. You know, you've got one out probably at quarterback. Um, or maybe, you know, maybe you've got a team that's now tanked because it was an injured quarterback plus Ritter or whatever. So just having Young be out there is something. And, you know, I think being underweight the job security guys is probably good, although Howell uh is already a miss, and now it's just a big now it's a question of how big a miss 
will he be? Because if he starts the rest of the season, he'll be a, a big miss. Yeah, the one player that I wish we were lower on in the job security bucket was Ryan Tannehill, who we were low on mm. for most of the summer. But once they signed Hopkins, we read it correctly as they think they're competitive. But what you think about your team can only go so far when you are not able to field a competitive roster and drafted a quarterback in the top of the second round. So I think that Tannehill, we correctly said there is a very large non-zero chance that he's not starting week 17. We should have then said, if he's not starting week 17 in 20 to 30% of situations, we should have zero interest in him on our offense. We're not super bullish in because we saw those Jimmy Garoppolo. We were really worried there. I wish we were that worried about Ryan Tannehill. I feel like that's probably different though, because Tannehill was not playing particularly well and they didn't really have any inclination of benching him. Now he's hurt and not playing. Whereas like Jimmy Garoppolo's healthy, just not playing anymore. It's a <laughs> weird situation, right? Cause they got their whole staff. Uh, and they're, it's possible they're doing this to not guarantee money down the road based on injury. Same thing we saw with Derek Carr over the, just the last three games. Somehow this is happening after week eight. But I don't. there were not a ton of signs other than Tannehill being bad. Not terrible. He's not playing awful. Just not doing anything, really. There were no signs that they were going to bench Tannehill. This, to me, strikes me. I mean, they literally benched, uh, or, you know, benched as in put Malik Willis as, or put Malik Willis ahead of Will Levis on the depth chart. Malik Willis terrible he can't play football and they still kept him ahead of will levis i'd be surprised i still think there was a chance obviously they bench ryan Tannehill at some point but i don't think we saw that outcome happen where we literally did see the desmond ritter benching like sure he got a concussion check they didn't put him back in they benched the yeah. next game jimmy garoppolo had like the, the back and what the concussion whatever but again they benched this is just straight up benching there was an injury that happened around the same time Tannehill's not quite the same though i do think it could have happened yeah just Quickly to add on, I think with Tanhill, it was the thought was if he was going to be benched, it was because they would be eliminated from playoff contention before week mm, 15 through mm-hmm. 17, especially week 17. And even if it was likely back, take back from Levis, that's what I was saying was likely. And mm-hmm. obviously it hit in a different way, but I think process wise, we should have been low on Tanhill because of that benching risk, not just because he was benched, because or not benched because he hurt his ankle and Will Levis came in. I have 3% Tannehill, and yeah, I wish it was zero, but, you know, I, I don't think he – we probably should have been a little bit more aggressive on him, and, like treated him like Jimmy, I agree, but I don't think he was like a miss. Like we were – we yeah. faded him throughout the summer. Um, and we you got should to be well six picks ahead of ADP at the end, and when you're at yeah. pick 200, the guys we have around – around him that are ahead of ADP are 20 picks, 20 picks, 18 picks, 18 picks, 15 picks, 15 picks. Like even in the end of the draft, if you're looking at the rankings, you're saying I have probably some guys who I'm way ahead of ADP on. If I need a quarterback, technically he is the most ahead of ADP, but being five picks ahead of ADP at the end of draft, it doesn't move the needle a ton, right? Because we have so many guys that are 20 picks ahead of ADP. So we've got marginally ahead of him at the end. Let's talk Howell because – He's such an interesting kind of hindsight case where I feel like almost every concern that I had about him has come to be like he (laughs) takes sacks so bad. And that was a big, I think a very underrated part of his profile that people weren't really factoring in how much this guy took sacks in college. Um, You know, people would kind of do the opposite arguments like, well, you don't realize how much of a rusher he is because 
you know, in college, the sack yardage counts against you. So once you subtract buckets and buckets and buckets full of sacks, all of a sudden he looks like a runner. <laughs> it's like, well, why do you think about that you're subtracting all those sacks? That might be a concern. So, you know, he's – and I think Howell is ultimately, like, not very good as, like, an actual NFL quarterback. But he's a very fun, bad quarterback. And in my high-stakes stuff, I was, like, kind of – I would always kind of do, like, before our draft, like, hey, guys, I'm fine with Howell here because we can cut him. And I think he'll be kind of a fun quarterback who gets benched. And, um, you know, guys, he still might be. <laughs> like, that's the kind of crazy thing. He still might be the fun quarterback who gets benched, given that they they kind of pulled out some of these wins and he's looked competitive. He looked really competitive both times against the Eagles. And then they get this win over the Patriots. I think maybe the enemy probably, you know, like Rivera and the enemy are going to, assess this of like who's less likely to get me fired who's less likely to kind of make me look bad um at this point i think they're going to feel like sticking with Howell is their best bet for all that stuff not moving to Brissett even at the very end of the season in which case Howell will be a big win but at the same time like there's a really really risky pick what i would say if i missed in a significant way on anything it's that the payoff has been a lot higher than I thought it would be. And I yeah. think the enemy part of that is what I underrated, not the Howell profile so much because he hasn't really been that much of a runner. It's that he's, you know, and that was like kind of the upside case that was presented to me. It was like, you're underrating his rushing ability, you know, because um, I thought it'd be a fun passer. But the enemy just like running this offense like the Chiefs, and just having them pass nonstop and being super aggressive and then them trading away all of their pass rushers. And now they're just going to be in shootouts nonstop. I just didn't, I just like, I would have laughed if you told me that's the way this is going to play out. I mean, be like, mm -hmm. that's the most, like you're just so in the bag for Howell. And it's like, no, I'm literally just from the future. Um, so that part of it, I think uh, hurts because the upside actually was here. And to the point where I think you could say, look, even if he does get benched, as long as you show up with another quarterback who's active in the playoffs, like you'll, you may have only gotten there because of Howell, and and then therefore he is a hit. Yeah, I don't know if he gets if he gets benched in week fourteen for good. Feels like that would still likely be a miss. I, I don't know. I we I mean we talk about this risk with uh, all these other quarterbacks. It's like you miss the important games of the year. It, almost does not matter what you did especially if it was a you miss these games in a predictable fashion obviously injuries happen but if we know that like obviously how's not getting benched in weeks one two or three it happens at some point later in the season the more likely you go on the more likely it is to have been benched at some point it doesn't feel too like you know it feels like if you get benched in week 13 you miss your entire fantasy team's playoffs where all the money is it almost certainly still goes down as a miss and process wise that is predictable and like there is a world in which they go out and get stomped by the Eagles a few weeks ago. And the game, like he gets benched after that. They had like the, they had just scored. Well, they still traded their D line after that game. Like it, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they they went out on the season after that. Uh, but that didn't mean benching how obviously like, I don't know. I, I think if like, there's a scenario in which he's been benched already because of the sack taking issues, they scored seven points against the giants. Uh, obviously like, you'd prefer to have him right now. 
I still don't even think it's an entirely settled debate. Obviously, we're trending towards losing it. I it's have not. no doubts about that. But like, yeah, he he blows up in the next three weeks and gets benched. It's probably still a loss uh, for the people who drafted him. I think that has looked increasingly less likely, though, and that's I agree. that's it's going to likely be an L for us. I still think it's not settled though. But I I can nope. see that like we definitely are are more likely to lose the Howl than we are to win it. Yeah, I think we had the Howl range of outcomes pegged pretty properly and also understood the devastating impact of a benching at any point. I think we underestimated, possibly correctly, the new Josh Harris-led ownership's ability to be forward-thinking and willing to just let their young players play. They're trading away pass rushers that they necessarily didn't need to trade away. They're running with Sam Howell. They're good. I'm almost entirely confident he will play the rest of the year, barring an injury. So from a results perspective, it will be a loss. I don't. I think he might mandate to their GM and to Rivera, you will play Sam Howell. He might be our quarterback next year. Jacoby Brissett will not start for us next year. Mm-hmm. There is no need to see him play, which is how he's handled business with the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils. But I'm not sure you really want to bake in any ownership tendencies. And I think, Pat, you made a great point on the Howell sack taking. A less active owner may have allowed the GM and coach who are clearly I think lame ducks at least Ron Rivera is I don't think they'll be back next year I think they if they had the choice might have went with Brissett yeah and I I mean I think there is some chance that he is benched I just think it's much much lower than I thought it was to begin the season and and probably then it was to begin the season. Like the fact that he has had competitive games against the Eagles and has, you know, they've they've gotten wins against uh, the Patriots last week and the, the Falcons. Um, you know, they beat the the Broncos and the Cardinals to start the year. Waiting for a good win to show up in this crew. <laughs> I know. No, of course. But like. There's there's a world in which they lose their first. Yeah, five, he's good enough to six. beat bad. He's good enough to beat bad teams, or at least stay competitive with them. Where like it, there's a world in which good they enough can't to stay competitive with bad yeah. teams. Yeah, but they but he's also you know he's won one score games against the Cardinals, the the Broncos, the Patriots, and the Falcons. And with the Falcons, yeah, the Falcons was eight points, so technically one score. So you know, a couple of those games go the other way, and it could be different. The fact that he has won all of those, I think, has increased his chances of, of keeping the job. So, you know, but then you look at in week 11, he gets the Giants, then the Cowboys, then the Dolphins, then it's their bye. So it's possible. I still think pretty unlikely that he would. Yeah, I think the problem is they're now. getting a week 11 win. <laughs> they're getting a week 11 win. And then you that probably sustains him right. for another two losses. But like you said, like there are. Plenty of worlds in which the one-score games flip differently and they bench him. Uh, definitely, like, still probably want to have him, though. You want to? Ha- I think you want to have him, um, especially at cost. He does – I think the one thing that we have going for us that maybe – I don't think Howell's going to end up being, like, one of these guys where, like, you just have to have him because he gets the Jets in Week 16 and the 49ers in Week 17. So I, I don't know how much he's going to really contribute in the fantasy playoffs. But I just think he's going to go down as a really good advance rate player. And, you know, one of the in the same way that these early round quarterbacks are probably going to go down as better picks than they really were. Now, Howell will just I'm not really saying he's a better pick than he really was, but like he will benefit from 
the uh, from the injuries to Richardson and Daniel Jones and Kirk. Like if you're if you went more with the three quarterback build and one of them is Howell, those teams are just going to do better now because you know you didn't have the, those middle round quarterbacks, um, and it'll make the hit that Howell like legitimately is um, and is you know is very likely to continue being. It'll just amplify that. So mm-hmm. I think he's going to ultimately go down as a, a miss for us and a pretty big advance rate player. But it's just funny because I'm like, man, process-wise, I'm not sure that I wouldn't make this type of bet again. Yeah, we could maybe adjust like what we thought the hit would look like in that like, yeah, maybe they mm-hmm. do play sort of like the Chiefs. Maybe they do end up being more likely to start their quarterback through thick and thin because of the ownership but would it have we're 25 picks behind ADP would it have gotten me within five no it certainly wouldn't have maybe it gets me to 15 behind ADP and I increase how much I have them by one to two percent I don't think I changed my bet drastically though knowing what we've seen his ADP one, also moved a ton late if I'm remembering correctly. yeah I feel like you yeah it did, it did Ritter for most of the year yeah and and the one thing I would say I was pretty vocal about this on uh, Legendary Sickos, and like I, I have some Howell, and people would sometimes rib me when they're in drafts and they they catch me drafting Howell, you know, because uh, he was like kind of a like a, a brand fade. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, look, listen, if I'm going to draft Howell, it's it's going to be stacked. Like I'm going to have McLaurin, have Dotson, like. I do. We didn't have him completely out of the draftable range once you stacked him up, and you know. So hopefully, the howl that you do have as a legendary upside subscriber um, is stacked because we were we were in on like that idea. If you're you know if you're going to be taking McLaurin and Dotson, who we were ahead of on, um, and to me that was not cognitive dissonance because I think Jacoby Brissett is a totally competent quarterback and would have supported those guys too so it's like play it through those guys and then um you know if you want to tack on Howell at the end that's an option but not a, definitely not a target definitely don't build your teams with the idea that you'll get sam howell later that part of it i think will will go down as a miss and again a potentially big miss maybe we get at this point though doesn't it feel like if it if he's not a hit like we kind of got bailed out uh, I think results-wise, yes. I feel a little more maybe on that in that, like, yeah, I think we, we were generally not great on how we valued him, but, like, so much of our stuff was like, dude, if he gets benched, you lose. Like, there's such an obvious loss condition that, like, you show up to week, whatever, week 15, 16, 17 with one quarterback, you're probably lose. You're probably, like, blocked in the final round by someone who, like, has yeah. that quarterback and a, and a second quarterback who can beat you. So we were wrong on it, but, like, I still think like I've, it's there's a very very obvious way it's becoming less probable by a lot. There's still a very obvious way in which you just take an L. Like, dude, you, should, you, you have a dead roster spot at a onesie position like that. Uh, probably end up losing in the in the best ball championship. Right, and we did end up ahead on Ritter, but he. What did we have him? Do you have the June rankings that you mentioned, Kyle? What, where is Ritter uh, for us? Because we, we would I have been... end of. I'm, I was just coincidentally looking at end of May. Ritter, we were 20 spots behind ADP as of end of May. And I feel like that held through June. I'd have to check, but we were yeah. way behind Ritter in the middle of the summer. We Yeah, we were way behind. Um, and I think that's, you know, the problem with 
making the bets on the quarterbacks without job security is that you're only taking three at most, you know? And so it just, it, it losing a guy really, really hurts um, as we unfortunately are seeing with, you know, all of these injuries to the quarterback position. It's just like, it just blows up awesome teams, teams that really you crushed. And then, you know, you get hurt by the random quarterback injury. And so I think philosophically, it's just, I don't want to like have people drafting really awesome teams. And then we were like, and if you just, if you really want to juice this thing up, then you take Desmond Ritter. And then if he hits, you're absolutely crushing. It's like, no, more likely than not, you're blowing up a really good team. And the Howell one is going to, yeah, that's, that's going to be a missed, missed opportunity. Um, and again, I think dialing in that range of outcomes was probably the biggest miss because the, because like Ritter didn't have a ceiling, you know, like Ritter, he had like, he could get you there week to week with this, you know, with yep. some rushing and stuff, but like Arthur Smith's quarterback, like it's an okay fate, even if he plays, you know, but, but, but Howell's uh, passing ceiling was definitely, uh, I, I didn't fully comprehend just how much passing volume he could, he could ultimately end up having. Agreed. All right. I think that'll do it for this episode. Any other guys we should mention before we get out of here? I feel like we covered. Oh, can we give ourselves a little pat on the back for Chuba Hubbard? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's just, I mean, guys, let's, let's close with something positive here. We talked about running back and we talked about Kyron and some of the other guys that we got right. But Chuba took a starting job. He just took it and he was, and he was free. And like he, I think, also was one of the guys that along with like Jerome Ford um, was one of the, the hits of our philosophy of hammer the dudes who we know are the number two. Yeah. We know this dude is the number two. There was some Raheem Blackshear stuff and we lowered Chuba a little bit, but then that kind of, then there were reports that no, it is Chuba. He's the clear number two. We, we came back up and we're aggressive again. I think we probably played that right. You don't want to tune out information on that stuff. But throughout the summer, we were really high on Chuba. We were super low on Sanders. And so, you know, for all the faults, at least I'm like 15% Chuba. I'm, I don't know where I'm at on Sanders. I'm probably 1% Sanders. So sorry about Howell, but hey, at least, at least we nailed that Carolina backfield for you. Yeah, I mean, it was a great season to fade dead zone type of running backs, even if they went cheaper. It's like we still were so anchored to what uh, what used to have to pay to get Alexander Madison. He's so much cheaper this year. Dude should have been a 14th round pick. Like, he is just not good. Same with Miles Sanders. Like we were, uh, the market was so anchored to that. And we, especially in the instance of Miles Sanders versus Chuba Hubbard, it's like very clear that Sanders just is not it for the price you have to pay to get what could ultimately come, come in as the starting running back. You take the shot on a guy like Chuba uh, as opposed to throwing away picks on someone like Sanders. Yeah, we, I think, did that very well at running back and not as much at wide receiver. Week one really does not matter. Darius Slayton and Devontae Parker running 90% of the routes is not that impactful, just as Miles Sanders getting 75% of the week one carries and turning that into 23 yards, three receptions. For one that doesn't even matter in week out. 17. It actually like did how... matter because that's why Chuba matters now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even like... when the market semi corrects on player prices, Miles Sanders was one round cheaper than he may have been when he should be mm -hmm. four to six mm -hmm. rounds cheaper in an efficient market. There are players who just 
are almost always bad picks. And you have to sometimes be confident making those selections. You'll win most of the time, hopefully. You might swing and miss on a 34-year-old Adam Thielen on the league-worst offense. But again, that's the tax you pay for this. Yeah, it's like a, it's a prove-it situation. <laughs> like, I don't know what the appropriate price is on a dead zone back. Like, it's hard to tell because they do project for a lot of work. And at some point, we know there's a point in which Miles Sanders has value. Until the market in any single year can ever prove that they know how to price these dust balls who project for 15 carries in week one, I'm not going to draft them. Prove it to me you can beat me. One year, price all the dead zone backs correctly and pick up your few useful RB2 weeks. It's the eighth round. I think it's the, it's the eighth round. The eighth round is okay. Because we were in Rashad White was totally fine, right? That's what I the David Montgomery that I have is like kind of seven eight turn, you know. Um, James Connor we weren't out on, you know. The Josh Jacobs that I have from twenty twenty two was like kind of closer to eighth round. Yeah, I think that's about it's it's the eighth round. But like Miles Sanders was in the fifth sixth round. Alexander Madison fifth sixth round. Damian yep. Pierce same thing. Yeah, the Joe Mixon hurt. that I have in the in the big board was from around the eighth round. Which, <laughs> you know, that, that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a great point on the dead zone. Uh, and I, I think the eighth round isn't there's nothing magical about it. it that but that tends to be where wide receiver really starts to dry up in a big way. All right, guys. That was a uh, about what about three and a half hours of content that, that we just did on the best ball rankings. Um, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Hopefully everyone enjoyed this little retrospective. Uh, in general, I feel really good about the rankings and I feel even better about next year's rankings. Cause I think we've, we've identified some kind of macro things that we can, we can tweak, yeah. you know, some it's kind of talent based is, is part of the philosophy. I think somewhat archetype based, some, you know, we are going to have misses. No one can ever be 100% correct, but understanding kind of the range of outcomes for sort of groups and archetypes and player profiles being underweight and overweight um, on some of those groups. And then you get your hits, you get your misses, but hopefully overall, um, you know, the portfolio looks really strong because you're, you're overweight groups with the ranges of outcomes that we actually want to target. Um, and I think we can tweak that. We didn't nail that as much as I... Lights, but I think in general, we did a good job. So hopefully you feel the same. Hopefully you're having a good best ball year so far, um, which I guess, how are you guys doing? Are you, is your portfolio doing pretty well so far? I mean, I know it's early, but are we, are yeah, we I'm, in, I'm, I'm advancing more teams than I should be. And I feel like I didn't focus on advance rate a ton. So to have the yeah. like, oh, I have what I think is like more late season upside than the average team and still going to get more teams than I should there. That's all you can ask for. That's exactly yeah, where I'm at. I'm, we're playing yeah. a game to win money in week 17. You want as many bullets to do so because you want as many shots on goal, but you want high value shots, good opportunities. And I think that's more important because though that's tough to quantify to the average person, it absolutely matters. A hundred percent. Yeah. Right now I'm just like, I've checked to see if I'm kind of chugging along. I want to see like slightly better than average advance rates. And then hopefully the, those kind of pick up as, um, as Brees Hall continues to to do well. And then um, Jonathan Taylor know, gets back out there. He's the guy you John, needed anyways. That's right. You and then we, uh, Richardson, John Taylor teams from 12th to 10th. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What could have been. Um, all right. What do you guys got going on? Tell the people 
uh, where they can check your stuff out. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Kyle tweets here. Waiver wire article will be up probably by the time you hear this. Uh, Roto World Football Show. That's it. Follow me on Twitter, Danny Triple Underscore Dimes. Write for the 3013 and on my Substack. Tweet stuff out pretty regularly, mostly about fancy football or the day. All right. Check out legendaryupside.com and we'll see you when we see you.